Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I know you hear me say this every week, but I love LinkedIn. I I meet the most amazing people on LinkedIn. I have been following this gentleman for a while. And then one day I just reached out and said, let's have a phone call. And that was it. I want to introduce you to Danny Langloss, and I'm hoping I'm pronunciating his surname correctly. I'll tell you what I love about him. He is a 25-year veteran of the city of Dixon, serving 10 years of that as a police chief before being promoted to city manager in 2017. Talk about packing up a transferable skill set. He's innovative. He's progressive. He has a great sense of humor. We have great chats. And I wanted to have him on today because he's the epitome of heart-centered leadership in all that he is and all that he does. And I, I feel like we've become fast friends and colleagues of the same cause. So Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Deb. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. It's a complete honor. Isn't it fun to finally see people and hear our voices when we've been back and forth and bantering and, and the synergy that you and I have in the leadership space? So I'm really, really honored to have you here today. And I'm going to dive into my leadership questions if you're ready. Thank you. Let's do it. Now, when I asked you to think about leadership and three words that came top of mind to you, your three words were vision, influence, and impact. Share with us from your career perspective, even life perspective, why those three words are in the forefront when you think about leadership. Yeah, that's a great question, Deb. So when I think about vision, I, I believe to my core, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And, you know, in law enforcement, especially in in the United States, we continue to follow the same tactics, arrest, 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 and related to different crimes of drug crimes, poverty, mental illness, all these different things. You know, if we were a private company, we'd have been bankrupt in the 1970s, but because we're funded by tax dollars, we were able to do this. And so vision has to do with, with really thinking about a better tomorrow, thinking about, you know, why do we exist as an organization? How can we serve people to the highest level to create the biggest impact. You know, tied to our mission and our mission in policing was to create a safer Dixon. The, the second thing under influence is, you know, leadership isn't about power and control, it's about service and empowerment. And when I think back to a lot of things that have shaped my leadership, but really within the last year and a half or two years have become crystal clear to me, I think about my training and time spent as a hostage negotiator. I was trained in the FBI hostage negotiation school. And then as a detective, and I've sat across from and interviewed, interrogated, you know, murderers, pedophiles, other violent criminals. And when you think about that, let's take a hostage situation where somebody's committed a crime. They've got they've got several hostages. They're armed. They're in a in a home. In that situation, 
The police have zero power and they have zero control. The hostage taker has all the power and all the control. Sure, we can send our SWAT team in, but if we do that, Deb, somebody's getting hurt and, and, and probably killed a hostage, a police officer, the hostage taker. So what do we have? We have influence. We have the ability to connect on a very human level with the hostage taker. And at some point, hopefully they decide, right? Because they have the power to release the hostage, to put down their weapon, to surrender peacefully so nobody gets hurt. And when I think about it and leadership and how these skills transfer, we could take a deeper dive into those frameworks. As leaders, we don't have the power or the ability to make somebody else do something, right? They control that. Now, we, if we tell them to do something and they do it because they fear, you know, discipline or being terminated, that, that's okay. But, but they chose because they could have chose not to right? So as leaders, it's not about power and control. It's about service and empowerment. It's about influence. It's about creating an environment where people can reach their full potential, be in line with their values, create their impact, be part of something bigger to themselves because they choose to be part of it, because they choose to do the things that they're doing to reach those goals and achieve their success and be part of the greater impact. Isn't it amazing that everything comes down to choice and it's so prevalent in leadership? Like, what a great example. And I love that you chose to talk about a hostage situation because most people would think the total opposite. They would, right? They would think the police have control. I mean, in to a sense, we can go in and we can try to save the hostages, but the statistics there are, are very, very low. The statistics when you negotiate with people and you file what really is based on the FBI behavioral change model, that's where the gold is. That's how these situations are resolved and they're resolved because the hostage taker decided to release the hostages, put down their weapon and come out. And it's funny to think that the secret weapons of hostage negotiators and criminal interrogators are the same secret weapons, the power skills of leaders. And those secret weapons are empathy, compassion, rapport, and trust, and they're all fueled by the skill of active listening. We believe, I believe that empathy is the heartbeat of leadership and trust is the currency of leadership. And so when we, we're really reshaping, you know, how leadership is viewed with so many other experts out there, but this discovery that happened after listening to Heather Younger present a keynote called The Art of Active Listening and going back and looking at my FBI hostage negotiations book to just freshen up on active listening and then seeing the FBI behavioral change model, it changed everything, including my leadership model. I, and, I, and I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to hold on to that. Okay, my second question is fun. It's It's got permanent residency on the show. I've had over 220 leaders answer this question, so I'm excited to hear yours. Laughter is permitted. And just remember, it's only a 30-minute show, though. All right. What imperfections does Danny bring to his heart-centered leadership? Yeah, so imperfections I bring. The, the biggest strength and the biggest weakness is my passion, right? One thing I have to be very conscious of is that my passion doesn't turn to intensity. And there are times where my passion turns to intensity. My passion is contagious 
It gives hope, it inspires, it unites people, it excites people. My intensity scares people and pushes people away. It causes me to lose trust. It drives fear and anxiety. And so that is one of the things that I have to be very, very conscious of. And then the second is consistency. As a person that is is a visionary, is creative, uh, more to the innovative side, one thing that, that can often happen is I can be fired up and moving full speed ahead, but I'm, you know, consistency on my uh, Cliff Strengths Finder is dead last. And so that's something that I have to work on and, you know, and, and be more intentional with. And the one thing I try to do is demonstrate humility and vulnerability to be upfront and honest with our team members about what my weaknesses are and ask them that if if they come out, please say something to me because I'm always trying to show up the best version of myself, the best leader for them, but I'm only human so that there's no way that can happen. It can't always happen. Absolutely. And, and you know, it makes me think of the 360 feedback. Why can't we just behave that all the time within a healthy, vital culture? Excellent, excellent point. We, you know, I, I believe feedback's the breakfast of champions. I've seen that somewhere. I adopted it immediately. I don't know who said it the first time. But in order for us to grow, in order for us to meet our value of commitment to excellence, we've got to be committed to getting 1% better each and every day with the recognition that excellence isn't a destination. It's just a place we can visit from time to time if we're leaving it all on the field and bringing our very best. But the only way we could do that and be sure we're doing it, not just think we are, is through that feedback. It is truly a gift. Well, and, and you know, if it can be done in the moment, like you said, I think when a leader is being truly heart-centered and, and like you said, can, can just demonstrate and say, here's my weaknesses, because we know C-suite leaders, they hire their team who are smarter than them in all the different areas. And then if we take it one layer deeper... Just share what your weaknesses are so then you can get feedback in the moment. I think it saves so much time. Well, it it does. It's the accelerator. It's a great accelerator of trust. And if we want to have psychological safety, if we want people to be able to share their weaknesses, ask questions when they don't know the answer, admit when they made mistakes, they've got to feel safe and comfortable to do that. And the way we create that safety and that comfortable space is to model it, is to lead by example in that area ourselves. You know, one of the things I often say is our relationship with failure is one of the most important relationships we'll ever have. And as long as we're always looking to fail forward uh, as leaders, we got to be there to dust our people off, right? Pick them up, dust them off, get them going. But I ask our people when I fall, when I stumble, please pick me up, dust me off, give me a word of encouragement so I can get going in the right direction as well. And we create environments like that, very high levels of psychological safety. People can give feedback, they can show up and contribute as their full selves. Absolutely. This is why I wanted you on the show. So good. So much fun. Thank you. So much fun. Okay, let's uh, circle back for my next leadership question because you touched upon your framework and I know you've created more than one. Do you have anything else that you want to add to the influence framework that you've created? Would you like to talk about your other framework? And I think we need to give a plug to your beautiful wife because she's doing some sketch notes for you on your framework. So this is kind of an open-ended question because you did so beautiful explaining about the framework of influence, but I wanted to make sure there was nothing left that you didn't want to unpack. And if you wanted to tell us about the other frameworks that you've developed. 
No, thank you. I, r- I really appreciate that. My wife, Valerie, is so talented. And to see her bring to life the seven critical components of empathy through sketch notes, the seven pillars of ownership, the drivers of belonging, it's just so neat because the way people, when we see it, we can, you know, we can resonate. We learn better that way. The framework that I'd like to talk about is the framework around what I believe is the X factor of winning cultures and championship teams, and that's ownership. There's seven pillars to the framework, and I wanted to define ownership really quick. It's the extreme emotional and psychological commitment to the team, the organization, the goals, and the vision of the organization. It's where people show up and are fully committed to this because they want to be, not because they have to be. And and these people are always looking for ways to add layers of greatness. They're always looking to proactively solve problems. They're highly collaborative. When you think about the ownership framework, it's important to know that there's no territorialness. Sometimes we lead, sometimes we follow. It's always about what's best for the organization. So the seven pillars, I'll just break them down really fast to say what they are and be mindful of the time. Pillar one, psychological safety. Pillar two is sense of belonging. Pillar three is aligning purpose. Pillar four is confidence. Pillar five is empowerment. Pillar six is innovation. Pillar seven is commitment and very high levels of commitment transition to ownership. And I see these building one on top of the other. If we don't feel psychologically safe to share our full selves, to go in and address uh, issues or problems, admit when we don't know, right? How can we ever be owners? If we don't feel like we belong, if we don't feel seen, valued, heard, cared for, appreciated, those types of things, how can we be fully committed to the team? And a lot of times I like to think about it as a family, but we've got to make sure to have the right boundaries around that. And then purpose, you know, what what matters to a person individually? What drives meaning in their lives for the work they do? And if we can't connect and intentionally align what drives meaning for them to what it is we do, then we've got to ask questions about, is, is it the right fit? But we we almost always can. And so it's intentional for us to take what drives meaning for our team members and make sure they see how that aligns with the meaning and purpose of the organization. So I'll stop there. I love that. Are these tools available on your website that we can share with our listeners? So the seven pillars of ownership framework is on the homepage of the website. It's actually a keynote that I do. And I've got several different posts through LinkedIn, but I don't have any like workbooks on it or anything right now. Well, there's your sign, my friend. It is my sign. Okay, my last question. I'm, I am very excited to ask you this. I work with a lot of professionals in law enforcement. And it's interesting because I, I worked alongside of them as a case manager, being a first responder. And then when I moved into coaching, And the level of structure and discipline that you get to in that field is, it's paramount. So share with the listeners, when you moved out of law enforcement to work as the city manager, what transferable skills did you pack up? I know you pack them all up, but which ones have really served you in your new role? And and part two of that is, How did the structure and discipline make that transition happen easily for you? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. So I think there's five critical uh, components of leadership in any organization. Their vision, culture, strategy, execution, and accountability. And so in any organization, those are so important. And, and in government, in general, there there is a lot of structure. There are hierarchies, but we really try to break those down and flatten them out some. But I think one of the most important transferable skills is the ability to connect with a real diverse group of people and the ability to have conversations that matter, the ability to solve problems, to resolve conflict, and the ability to have those conversations that matter. Because we can have great vision, an amazing culture, incredible strategy, good execution. But if we don't have accountability within our organizations, it all falls apart. If, if because somebody's a high performer and they've got the most sales, right? Or they can, you know, lay that sidewalk the fastest or they got the most innovative ideas in the healthcare industry. If, if somebody's in that, but they don't have to follow our values, if they don't have to follow the principles that guide our organization, everything falls apart. And I've seen that time and time again. I've experienced that firsthand uh, when I became the police chief in a, in a very dysfunctional and toxic culture. And so I think the ability to communicate with people of all different walks of life, backgrounds, diversity, and, and the ability to, to have conversations that matter are a couple of the really important skills when coming into to this organization. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I love that it's so much in the forefront of your habit of thinking of here are the five areas and the most important one is accountability and being able to have those conversations. That's truly being heart-centered because, you know, it's an old cliche and I don't know where it came from, but I remember learning it before my dad passed away and he said to me, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're the CEO of a company because he had a large insulation and pipe covering company. And it didn't matter if he was talking to somebody in the office or one of the guys out on the field, he was always the same CEO. So their title and stature, you know, really didn't matter. So it's funny as I say that, because I, I look at where I've landed not having my dad since I was 21. And it's it's those moments when you can look back. But the structure and discipline that you have from being a police officer it's so paramount and foundational in leadership. And I think that is a huge plus that you bring. Anybody that's uh, ever moved out of any sector, I've moved 80 executives since the start of COVID to a different sector. Wow. And it's, you know, the, the nerves are there. And we joked about that before I hit recording, you know, when we're nervous or have anxiety or even imposter syndrome, and we all have it. It's because we care. And, and again, that's just an extension of our, our thoughts and our feelings and our behavior all under the heart-centered leadership umbrella. And I always just find it fascinating because people will go, you? Because we get so caught up looking at leaders or people with stature. But I always joke and say they wake up in the morning and brush their teeth just like you. Yeah. I always hope, Deb, that if you walk into a room uh, with our team, if you didn't know us, you'd have no idea who the city manager was. When I was the police chief, you'd have no idea who the police chief was because we're one team. And when we talk about things like accountability, that's not always negative, 
but it's always got to come from a place of love. You know, I had a conversation, you know, within the last six months with a team member who I love dearly. We're working through some things. And I just, I sat down across from him and I said, can I have an honest, caring, loving, and direct conversation with you? You know, can you give me permission to do that? And because we built the relationship, very strong relationship founded in empathy, rapport, compassion, trust, right? They gave me permission. I, I heard a saying, from my good friend, Ted Everett, he's a superintendent of Sterling Public Schools, love you, love your people so much that they give you permission to give them feedback. Love your people so much that they give you that permission. And it, it really does change everything. And, and there's the feedback we were talking about before. 100%. Full circle moment. Okay, I'm gonna switch to my fab four. These are four rapid questions. So we don't want you to think, we just wanna know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant heart-centered mind of yours. Okay, first question. If I talk to Valerie, your team, your kids, and I said, describe Danny in one word, what would it be? I would hope it would be caring. I love that. That's not surprising. Second question, what is a book? And just to wrap some context around this, this can be a book that you've read at any time in your life that really impacted you. What was the name of the book and who wrote it and how did it impact you? Uh, Brene Brown, Dare to Lead. And one of the main things I took from it, because there was so much, was about how we have to intentionally create an environment where people's armor is down. Because when our armor is up, no real communication or progress can happen. And there's a lot of armor out there. No police jokes intended, but <laughs> yeah. that wall of resistance and and really it's it's an element of heart-centered leadership. And it's just, they haven't got to that juncture of acceptance of self and self-awareness. And it's such a fun space to to create with somebody as a leader. I love that. I love that book too. That That's a book that I, it's tattered. There's lots of post-it notes. It's one that I frequently go back to. Okay, third question. I'm granting you a wish. And you get to have dinner with a leader of your choice. Now, this leader could be living or they could have passed away. Who are you having dinner with? And what is the dinner conversation? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And just to try to tap into where his vision and conviction came from. And, and how he strategically, because it was had to have been strategic, put his words together in ways that move people. He has been mentioned on the show before, and what a conversation that would be. It would be an incredible conversation. There's so many, you know, there's, there's so many people, right? But I, I think I would choose him. Well, and that's why we don't let you think, because we want that one that's sitting right there. Okay, before I finish the show, I want to say... I'm so glad we became LinkedIn friends. I'm glad that we've locked arms in heart-centered leadership. I love sharing this space with you. I love the work that you're doing. I hope there's many more sketch notes from your visionary thinking for Valerie to create. And I'm just so grateful for you and for your time today. Thank you, Deb. It's an absolute honor. I cannot wait to read your book. I am so excited and you know, thank you. You're the great connector. And it's amazing how your influence and impact is spread, not across Canada or the United States, but across the world. And thank you. Thank you for that and all you do. 
Thank you. Like attracts like is what my Nana used to say. So yes. I'm going to have you close out the show by finishing this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is? Being empathetic and compassionate towards other people and always putting their best interests and align with the organization's best interests first. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.